I need your help. I see so many people around the church who have such a strong faith that I feel like I don't fit in. I'd like to feel confident and wish I didn't have doubts, but I've got more questions than answers. And now I'm beginning to doubt whether I'm a Christian at all. What should I do? Could you get back to me right away? So this letter was actually addressed to the leadership in this individual's church. Uh, the letter writer, he's a, he's a bright, sincere businessman who'd actually been attending his church for some time. Uh, he just had a lot of questions. Have you ever felt like he did when he wrote this letter? Maybe you've wrestled with questions like, has God really forgiven me? Is the Bible really reliable? Or how, why would a loving God allow people to suffer? Maybe today you, you've been praying a specific prayer about a struggle in your life for a really long time, but so far there's just been silence and you're starting to wonder, is, is God really there? If you can relate to any of this, I just want to say that I'm glad that you're here today because today we're going to begin a five-week series called Room for Doubt. Now, I'm aware that the atmosphere in many churches uh, tends to suffocate the tough questions that people have about the Christian faith. So my hope is that this series would actually challenge our church family to see that it's okay to ask the tough questions and even express doubts. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, we read these words. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. So keeping 1 Peter 3 in mind, uh, my prayer for this series is that it would encourage questions in our church that it would address doubts, and that it would ultimately strengthen faith through God's word. If you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of doubts, if you don't have a lot of questions, because this series can, can still help equip you, it can still be beneficial in your life so that you can continue to help the friends and family members in your life who do struggle with these things. Now, if you've never experienced doubt in your faith before, there's a good chance that at some point you will. It's just natural from time to time to wrestle with spiritual questions. And by the way, this isn't just a Christian experience. People from all points of views, from all walks of life, even atheists, often struggle with doubt. I would say this going into this series, that doubt is a human experience. It affects everybody. And so understanding that all people are going to experience doubt at some point in their lives, for these first two weeks, I want to try to lay the foundation for this series by talking about three important questions that relate directly to doubt. You'll notice in your bulletin that today's message is going to be part one. It's going to be part one of two messages. Today, we're going to look at two important questions that relate to doubt. We're going to talk about you know, examining doubt closely to see what it really looks like. We're also going to see how doubt affects us, what makes it grow in our lives. And then next week, we're going to look at a few practical um, steps, some practical things that we can apply to our lives to help us overcome and even benefit from doubt in our lives. 
In other words, we're going to talk about what is doubt, what causes doubt, and how can we grow through our doubt. That's really going to help lay the foundation these first two weeks of our series. So if you're taking notes this morning, if you're looking at your notes, there's a question that you see first. And I think this is so key in laying the foundation for where we're going. And that is, what is doubt? What is doubt? I think a great way to answer this question is to actually look at three misconceptions that we tend to have about doubt or what doubt is not. So if you're taking notes, uh, the first misconception that we're going to talk about, you know, so many people believe that, that doubt is the opposite of faith, but it's not. So you can write in that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is disbelief. And disbelief is the willful refusal to believe or a deliberate decision to disobey God. But that's not what doubt is. See, to doubt is is to be indecisive or to even have mixed feelings about a specific issue that you're wrestling with. It's when you're hung up between certainty and uncertainty. When you have doubts, you haven't settled on disbelief. You're just up in the air about something. You've got questions and concerns about a specific aspect of your faith. In fact, I would argue that you can, you can have a strong faith. You can be growing in your relationship with God and still have questions. I think that's important to understand. I, I love what one pastor said about this. He said, you can, you can be heaven-bound and still express uncertainty over some theological issues. You can still be heaven-bound and still express uncertainty over some theological issues. I believe you could make a very strong biblical case that wrestling with God over issues of life, that, that doesn't show a lack of faith. It's the opposite of that. That's the evidence of faith. I mean, just read the book of Psalms. Over and over again, we see David wrestling with issues of faith. You see, David was a man of great suffering as well as great joy. He was a man of great doubt as well as great faith. He shows us that doubt is not the opposite of faith. The second misconception, if you're taking notes, you know, a lot of people believe that doubt is unforgivable, but it's not. So if you're taking notes, you can write in that doubt is not unforgivable. Doubt is not unforgivable. See, God doesn't condemn us when we question him. A great example of this is found in John chapter 20, when Jesus appeared to Thomas just shortly after the resurrection. So John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, this is what we read. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, they said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where, where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. 
And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. There's so many important lessons that we can take from this story. But the one I want to highlight today is that Jesus didn't condemn Thomas for asking questions and specifically questions about the resurrection. Instead, this is so key, Jesus gave Thomas additional evidence to prove that he had risen from the dead. In fact, verse 28 shows us how Thomas responds to this. It's amazing. He says, my Lord and my God. This is just one of many stories throughout God's word that reminds us that that God doesn't condemn us for doubting. I mean, I'm reminded about John the Baptist, Peter, Gideon, Abraham, and Sarah. I mean, the list goes on and on of faithful people who still had doubts. And like all of these people, I believe that we too are encouraged to come to God as we are, questions and all. See, God would rather us be honest with him about our doubts than to go through life day after day after day living out a phony faith. God is so much more concerned about your heart than what we see on the outside. Third misconception, you know, a lot of people believe that doubt is always unhealthy, but it's not. In fact, I would say that doubt is not always unhealthy. Doubt is not always unhealthy. Doubt can actually produce positive results in our lives. In other words, there can be an upside to doubt. For example, when you're dealing with doubt, like we we, we all have, and you choose to seek God's answers to your questions, you can actually emerge stronger than ever before because your faith has been confirmed in the right kinds of ways. And that will give you a new kind of confidence in dealing with doubt in the future. You could say that God can use our doubts to to grow our faith. This is what happened to Lee Strobel when he was a new Christian. Many of you will recognize the name Lee Strobel. He's the author of The Case for Faith and the book The Case for Christ. In fact, uh, our high school and our middle school youth right now, uh, they're going through the book The Case for Christ. And uh, so I just thought that was really neat timing that they're going through that. But this is what happened to Lee. So when he was a new Christian, a family had visited his church and they decided to fill out a comment card. And on that comment card, they said, we have some questions. That's kind of like open-ended. And especially as a pastor, I don't know how I'd feel about that. You know, it's like, I don't know what I'm getting myself into here. But they had some questions and Lee decided to, to meet with them. And when he did, he learned that the guy who actually filled it out, the husband, was a scientist who had spent years and years studying books that sought to uh, discredit or attack the Christian faith. Man, he found himself in a difficult position. He's sitting in this guy's living room over a mill. And this guy just starts throwing some of the most difficult questions at Lee, at Lee Strobel that he's ever heard in his life. He, he actually later wrote that this sent tremors through his faith for some time. But despite how he felt, Lee told the man, and I thought this response was great, because sometimes we, you know, we feel like we have to know all the answers to everything, and we feel backed into a corner, and we just don't know what to do. Well, Lee, his, what he said is a great example. He said, I can't answer all of your questions right now, but I don't think that after 2,000 years, you've come up with an issue that's finally going to destroy 
or debunk the foundations of the Christian faith. And then here's the important part. He said, I'm confident that there are answers. So let me go away and I'm going to do the research myself. And then I'm going to come back to you with some answers. I thought that was awesome. See, Lee went away and he actually researched the questions that had been asked. And later he was able to write back to the man. He said, here, let me share some of the good answers that I've found to some of these difficult questions that you've asked. Why do I tell you this story? Well, you see, this experience served to strengthen Lee Strobel's faith and it prepared him for answering those same questions, the difficult questions about the faith, if they were to come up again later in his life. What I love about Lee Strobel and so many other authors and pastors, examples that we have in our modern day today, is that he chose to love God with his mind. He chose to love God with his mind, seeking the answers for himself. You know, he didn't rely on just coming and sitting in a pew or in a chair and having somebody feed him the answers like a baby drinking milk out of a bottle. He did the work himself. He sought God himself. He looked for the answers. I imagine it probably kept him up at night quite a few times. See, while we shouldn't go out of our way to seek doubt, that's not what I'm saying. I don't believe that we should ever do that. It can work to our benefit if we deal with it in the right kinds of ways. If we choose to love God with our minds and seek his answers through his word, that can be extremely beneficial. So what is doubt? Well, doubt is not the opposite of faith. I, I know maybe you've heard that, and, or you, you feel like if you doubt, then you're just, you're just not a faithful Christian. That's not, the, that's not the case. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is, not, is also not unforgivable, and it's not always unhealthy. So if you're anything like me, I like to have a working definition for things. I like to walk away knowing, okay, what... What is this, this word doubt that we're talking about today? And we've used this definition before. I, I love this because I believe it's rooted in scripture. And that is that doubt is living in the gap between our current faith and perfect faith. So doubt is, is living in the gap between our current faith and perfect faith. Just raise your hand this morning if, if you have a perfect faith. If you're perfect, raise your hand. Everybody look across the room this morning. I don't see a hand up. If that's the case, if we're all kind of living in the gap right now between our current faith and perfect faith, here's the news flash today. We're all going to experience doubt. We're all going to experience doubt at some point or another. Big question number two for today. What causes us to doubt? I think this is just as important as the first question, maybe even more so. What causes us to doubt? See, while doubt is not always unhealthy and can be used by God to strengthen and grow our faith, I want you to hear this. Doubt can also be dangerous if it goes unaddressed. Doubt can be dangerous if it goes unaddressed. I don't believe that we can even begin to address the doubt in our lives unless we know the source, unless we know where it comes from. So let's talk about some of the causes of doubt. There are several places uh, where, where doubt can affect us. I believe doubt affects us in our mind. It affects us through our emotions and even our will. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to spend a few minutes just unpacking each of these. And what I want to do is challenge you to see if this might be the source 
of the doubt that you've experienced or are experiencing in your life. So we'll talk about doubt can affect us in our minds, our emotions, and our will. Let's look at that first one. Doubt can target our minds, if you're taking notes. Doubt can target our minds. So this is where we tend to come up with what we think is the intellectual objections to the faith. Where we begin wondering whether things like heaven and hell, Satan and angels, miracles, and even the resurrection are really rational to believe in. Now, when we talk about how doubt targets our mind, I believe it, it, it does this in a few ways. The first is that doubt often develops in our minds because we don't know why we believe what we believe. This is extremely important. Doubt will often target or develop in our minds because we don't know why we believe what we say we believe. Here's an example. So it might start with a conversation that you're having with a friend, and your friend says, so, so you believe in Jesus. You believe that Jesus is God. And the faithful Christian you are, you say, of course I do. You know, what, what other answer is there? And then they come back at you and they say, well, why do you believe that? They ask the big question, the why. Why do you believe that? So you, you take out your Bible and you start going through and finding verses that, you know, will show your friend that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that Jesus is the son of God. And before you can even share a verse, your friend says something along the lines of, and I think a lot of us have probably heard this. He says, wait a second, you don't expect me to believe anything that's in that book, do you? You don't expect me to believe that. And, and your response is, well, why not? You know, why not? And you start going back and forth, and, and what you hear next is, well, everybody knows that the Bible is full of contradictions. It's full of myths. I mean, come on, this is the, this is the 21st century, right? Why in the world would I believe that that book is the word of God? And you're kind of at a loss for words. You, you don't know what to say. And really what, you, what you're left is, is, well, I just choose to believe. I think that's a pretty typical conversation that many people have had, maybe talking with friends or family or coworkers. And this is, this is where a lot of people start to see doubt begin to creep in in their lives. Because you walk away and you think, well, maybe, maybe my friend is right. I mean, how do we really know that the Bible is reliable? That's a really good question, and it's one that we're going to talk about in a sermon during this series in a couple of weeks. You know, it's been rightly said that Christians uh, should believe simply. That means that we have that childlike faith, that childlike faith that the Bible calls us to, that we should believe simply, but that we shouldn't just simply believe. There's a difference there. Because chances are that someone at some point in your life is going to challenge your faith. They're going to begin to ask the difficult questions. And not knowing the why behind what you believe could really end up hurting your faith and growing doubt in your minds. Not knowing why you believe what you say you believe, it can really end up hurting if you don't know the why. There's another way that I believe doubt starts to to grow in our minds, and that is that doubt can also develop in our mind if we don't know what we should believe. Again, I think this is just as important as, as the first statement. You have the why, but you also have the what. Doubt can develop in our mind if we don't know what we should believe. So th this is basically boiled down to having an inaccurate view of God. And when we begin to develop an inaccurate view of God, 
that's going to grow doubt in your mind. See, if all, if all you ever learn about is God's love, which we should talk about that every single week. I mean, the Bible says that God is love. But if that's all you ever learn about, and you never grow to understand his justice, his holiness, you're going to develop doubts about why he does what he does and why he doesn't do what you think he ought to do. And then we start to doubt because we've developed an inaccurate view of who God is. And I would say that having an inaccurate view of God is a breeding ground for doubt in our lives. Another example is going through life believing that God has promised to answer all of your prayers exactly the way that you pray them. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with individuals who say something like, you know, I've been praying this prayer for so long. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Well, when he doesn't answer them the way that you think he he should, what, what happens inevitably is you start to grow doubt. Or you think God guarantees health and wealth to all believers, and then you're going to start doubting when health and wealth don't come your way. See, the problem in each of these areas isn't with God. It's not with God. The problem is in developing an inaccurate view of who God is. And that's, friends, that's an open invitation for doubt to begin to take over in your life. But there's another way that doubt can begin to grow or develop in our lives. If you're taking notes, that is that doubt can affect us through our emotions. Doubt can affect us through our emotions. So I see more and more people seeking to build a faith that's solely based on emotions or feelings. I, I do in our, in our churches, in our youth groups, friends that I talk with who are pastoring other, other churches. I see more and more people seeking to build a faith that's solely based on emotions or feelings. So, so maybe you had an emotional experience when you first came to Christ, and there's nothing wrong with that. But and you notice you're, you, were, you were emotionally pumped up for a while, but then eventually what happens is that spiritual high, it begins to wear off. And you start wondering whether your faith is slipping, whether you're really a Christian at all. And I'll just be honest with you, this is what happened to me when I was in seventh grade. So I, I had been a Christian for a couple years. In seventh grade, I was invited by a friend to go to a church camp that summer with Southern Hills Baptist Church, and the camp was Falls Creek. And uh, our youth group was about 100 kids. All right, that's like the size of our church. And uh, so it was exciting. You know, it was really exciting. We had two, like, Greyhound buses that, that took kids down. And you get there, and you stay in a, in a cabin with just the kids from your youth group. And they bring someone in to lead worship, you know, in the morning and late nights. And someone who comes, and they, they bring a message each day. But in the evening, you gather with the rest of the camp. So there were, like, 2,000 kids all right, and you go to this outdoor tabernacle. It's super hot. We just had these big fans. They didn't have air conditioning in there when I was there. And uh, so I guess that does make me a little bit older, you know. <laughs> but we had these, these big fans, and they bring in, like, the best speakers from across the country, the best worship leaders. I mean, it is so energetic and exciting. 
Well, here's what happens when you get like 2,000 plus middle school students crammed in a room and they're hearing things that they haven't heard maybe ever or in a way that they've never heard it before. And they're experiencing worship, maybe like they don't experience at their local uh, church, you know, back home. It, it tends to play with your emotions a little bit. You know, it kind of pulls at your heartstrings a little bit. And, and really, and I'm not discrediting like what happens during these times because I look back at these times and think, man, those were pivotal moments in my faith. But you go home from these weeks at camp and a week goes by, two weeks goes by, and then all of a sudden this spiritual high starts to wear off. And then being so young and so new in your faith, you start to ask questions like, God, where are you? You know, you were so present and, 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 and you made yourself so known during this week. Where are you? You go back home and the worship in your church isn't quite the same. You know, they're singing hymns or, you know, they're holding up the hymnals and things. And you're like, well, this just isn't exciting. You, you experience two things that are completely different from one another. And I'll be honest with you, that year from seventh grade to eighth grade, instead of growing in my faith, I really feel like I took a, a, a big hit. Because I start to, started to develop in my mind what I thought it meant to be a follower of Jesus. So I went back to camp the next year. And it was like I was waiting to get there just so I could have this emotional experience again. I was ready for the worship. I was ready for the teaching. I was, I was, I was so ready. Well, night one went by. Nothing. Night two went by, nothing. Night three went by, nothing. So finally, I decided to talk with a lady. Her name was Miss Ellis. She was a teacher at our school, a wonderful woman. And she was a youth coach or a youth sponsor for the week. And I was basically like, what's the deal? <laughs> you know, last year I experienced God in this big way. And I'm just, I'm just not experiencing God in the same way that I did. Where is he? Why has God left me? And she really put me in my place that summer in eighth grade. She said, Craig, you've really misunderstood the role of emotions and faith. She said, faith is not fundamentally a feeling, even though feelings do accompany faith. We shouldn't be afraid of feelings. We shouldn't be afraid of emotions. God has created us to be emotional beings, and that is okay. But she said, rather, faith is, is a gift, and it's a daily decision to follow Jesus. See, our faith was never meant to decline or grow based on how emotionally pumped up we are. And doubt can take root when our faith is solely based on emotional experiences. See, what happened to me that year, I started to doubt the presence of God because my faith was being built solely on emotions, not on the truth of his word. I'm seeing this more and more in the local church. You have people who come and they're, they're, they serve faithfully and they're a part of a church body. And then they'll say something like, well, I'm just not getting anything out of the messages anymore. Or, you know, the worship just isn't what I want it to be. Or, and really it comes back to a, I think, a point of view that makes it all about self. And then we think the grass is greener, so we end up going to another church where they offer the things that we want offered. And, and I don't see that as much in this community, in this area, but I'm seeing this more and more as I talk with friends, and especially big cities where you have mega churches, and it's, it's, it's kind of competition. Instead of being part of the family of God in a local body of believers and coming together to worship together, to serve together, to faithfully live for Jesus every day together. 
We kind of make it about what we can get out of it. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that if that is what our faith is being built on, it's going to be a very shallow faith. And then when the difficult times do come, you're not going to be able to stand because your, your faith isn't built on the rock. It's built on emotions and feelings. And again, those things aren't, aren't bad when they take their proper place. But don't be like 7th and 8th grade Craig. <laughs> where you're just waiting day after day for God to show up because you think he only shows up in the emotions and the feelings. Instead, cling to the word of God and claim the promise that God is present. Amen? That God loves you. That there's not a second that goes by that he doesn't care about every single of the smallest details in your life. He's available for me. I, I was the one that ended up walking away. I misunderstood the role of emotions and faith. I think doubt can also stem from emotions within people who've been emotionally scarred from their past. In other words, if you've suffered parental abuse as a child, if you've been abandoned by your parents or maybe by a spouse, if at some point in your life you've felt unloved or unworthy of love, this can greatly affect our view of God. You might start to develop chronic doubts, you know, those continual doubts and uncertainties, because deep down inside, you're just waiting for God to let you down, just like everybody else has. Now, while most victims of parental abandonment or abuse, they don't resort to atheism, it's true that people can find it difficult to trust a heavenly father when they've been so mistreated by their earthly father. You see, where there's a lack of trust, doubt soon follows. Where there's a lack of trust in our lives, doubt soon follows. The last thing I want to talk about today is that doubt can also develop out of our will. Doubt can develop out of our will. See, doubt can begin to, to multiply and grow when Christians make the willful decision to stay in a pattern of sin. Let me say that again. This is so important. Doubt can begin to multiply and grow in our lives when, when, when a Christian makes the willful decision to stay in a pattern of sin. You see, sin creates a lack of, of peace in our lives, and it hurts our relationship with God and with others. It's actually common for people to go through seasons where, where they experience a lack of peace, and because they have a lack of peace, they begin to doubt God's presence in their lives. And not all the time, but, but many times when we trace this lack of peace back to its original source, we often learn that the underlining cause is a willful decision to cling to sin instead of clinging to Jesus. See, sin is a choice. And choosing to sin over God's design is always a faith drainer. It's a faith drainer. I would encourage you today, if you're, if you're feeling that lack of peace in your life, that lack of God's presence in your, in your lives, pray about that. If doubt is growing and you sense a crisis in your faith, it's important to ask God to search your heart 
to help, help you identify anything in your life that might be offensive to him. That is so important. God, search my heart. Help me identify anything that might be offensive to you. Because choosing to cling to sin, that's going to, again, it's going to be a breeding ground for doubt in your life. It's going it's to hurt your relationship with God and with others. So doubt, it'll affect our minds. It affects us through our emotions and, and even our will. But before I wrap up part one of, of this message, I think it's important that we acknowledge the role that Satan can play in implanting doubts in us and discouraging us to the point where, where our doubts multiply out of control. So in John chapter 8, Jesus reminds us that Satan is the father of lies, that he was a murderer from the beginning and that there is no truth in him at all. Not even an ounce. See, Satan's plan is to whisper lies into your ears, trying to lead you to a place of mistrust, confusion, misinformation about God's word and about God's direction for your life. That's what he wants to do. And we shouldn't ignore Satan's desire to trip us up, but I also want to say this. We shouldn't stay fixed on him either. We shouldn't stay fixed on him either. Because I'm reminded about an even greater promise in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And this is what we read. It says, if you are in Christ, then you belong to God. If you are in Christ, then you belong to God. And the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? You know, I think it's easy to become overwhelmed with the problems that we face and with the doubts that we experience in our faith. But John assures us that, that God is so much greater. He is so much stronger than any problem or any doubt that we might be struggling with this morning. God is greater. He is stronger. So today, we looked at two really important questions. These questions help lay the foundation for where we're headed throughout this series the first, what is doubt? And I think that we can answer this by looking at some misconceptions that we have about doubt or what doubt is not. And we were reminded that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not unforgivable and doubt is not always unhealthy. In fact, God can use our doubt to, to help grow a greater faith. Doubt is, is simply living in the gap between our current faith and perfect faith. The second big question, what causes doubt? You know, before we can begin to address the doubt in our lives, we have to understand where our doubt comes from. And doubt can affect us in our mind, through our emotions, and even, even our will. So the question that we'll look at next week is this. We're just going to look at one big question next week. How can we grow through our doubts? And next week, I want to give you five action steps that you can put into place just immediately that'll help you start growing through your doubt. God's plan for you is that you would grow in those seasons of doubt, that he would help get a hold of that doubt and he would help grow it to greater faith. But again, we need to go to God's word to see how he wants us to do that.